Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, October 19th. What a fantastic championship Sunday all of us tennis fans got to experience as we had five ATP finals. And yes, I consider those challenger finals ATP finals as well. All deliver the goods, all delivering fascinating storylines for us to talk about here on today's podcast. Of course, what we learned on a day when you have Andre Rublev, Alex Zverev, and Carlos Alcaraz, you're probably in really good hands as a tennis fan. And so, of course, all of those players going on to capture titles. Of course, Laszlo Jure, Haomi Munar also winning their events. I want to talk about all of those performances. I want to preview what should be another really exciting week of professional tennis. Only four weeks left in this 2020 season. Of course, this restart came upon us fast. It's going to end quicker than any of us would like. But nevertheless, I know I speak for all of us when we say in a year when we are in the midst of a global pandemic, it has been so great to experience any pro tennis. So, of course, I want to talk about the action all of you listeners can expect to see from the Pro Tour this week. Of course, the reason we are able to do this podcast day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets, because of the support we get not only from all of you listeners, which we are eternally grateful for, but of course from our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. If you have any tennis equipment needs, go to MidwestSports.com. You're going to find any possible brand you're looking for, whether it's Wilson, whether it's Babylon, whether it's Head, whether it's Yonix, whether it's anything in between, they've got it all on their store. You can find it all on their website, MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, you will get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And then, of course, best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis uh, Balls. Of course, if you have any questions, be sure to contact the staff at Midwest Sports. They bring Midwest values to their product. Again, they're just the kindest staff in the business. They're going to be able to answer any of the questions you may have. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Let them know that we sent you there by using that promo code CR15. Of course, if you want to up your game from a nutrition standpoint, you want to help get your tennis game to the next level, Turn to our friends at Aerobar, who are offering the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana. You already know they've got delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavor. It's not going to be melting in your bag. And best of all, it comes with a podcast, our Getting to the Point episodes focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game, how developments in the way players approach those two topics have changed the sort of results we see on court. Of course, if you're interested in those podcasts, Go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And, of course, to get yourself a case of Aerobars, just go to aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACK15 to let them know we sent you there. All right, 
with that in mind, let's recap a championship Sunday. And again, there were five outstanding matches. It was an early Sunday start. So, you know, you got to kick your day off with some outstanding tennis. If you're here in the United States like I am, maybe you follow that up with a little bit of football action. Maybe you were just hanging out with your family. Maybe also like me, you got it. You got a hit in. You decided, hey, I'm going to go play some tennis with someone in my life. I got to do that with my little brother before I came home here to Indianapolis, where I am now recording the podcast. And by the way, as I mentioned, expect our recording schedule here for the rest of this week to get back to normal. I am very much looking forward to two podcasts I have scheduled already for early here this week, both of which are going to be able to hear on our Great Shot podcast feed. Ben Rothenberg, of course, of the New York Times, of Racket Magazine, of Tennis Twitter Lore. Uh, He is coming on the podcast later today to break down our biggest storylines for the remainder of this 2020 season. And then Brett McCormick, our friend from Sports Business Journal, going to talk about some of the business developments, some of the things all of us tennis fans should be watching for in terms of what changes may come to the tour in 2021. Of course, all of us experiencing changes in our lives, given the way these past seven months have have gone. The professional tennis world not immune to those changes. And it's not just pro tennis, college tennis, junior tennis, all of these things, developments we are going to be looking at, monitoring closely here at Crack Rackets, and of course, trying to keep all of you listeners in the loop. So, you know, to make sure you don't miss any of the actions, pound that subscribe button. I'm saying pound it. Like, you know, it, it's very easy to find when you click on the podcast link. I, I imagine most of you are already subscribed, so thank you. But in case you haven't, and I know some of you haven't, go leave that little review right now. It's not only that you can listen to this, but you can help, you know, by leaving that five-star review, by leaving a little bit of words, maybe some things you want to hear us talk about moving forward. Again, it helps us grow the podcast. We are very much appreciative to that. That was the obligatory from Dalton Thieneman message. Of course, that's how it's proof I'm back in Indianapolis. Nevertheless, uh, of course, we are so grateful for all of you listeners joining us today. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit of tennis and let's start with the ATP 500 event in St. Petersburg. And, you know, it's only fitting in St. Petersburg. It feels like it was a coronation for Andre Rublev. It feels like at this point, we're seeing that six-week run, that eight-week run that players, when they make their ascension into the top 10, it always seems to be the uh, prelude to them eventually solidifying that top 10 spot, sticking in the top 10 for the duration of their career. Of course, some of the notable six-week runs we've seen in the past couple of years on the ATP Tour. All of us remember Daniil Medvedev really starting at the City Open last summer, going all the way through the U.S. Open, of course. You know, Alex Vera, whether it's the clay court run he had, I think, in 2018, whether it's the hard court run he had, I think he won City Open and then maybe Montreal or Masters Cup back to back. And I might be screwing up the years, but, you know, we've seen a six week run out of him as he made his ascension. Stefano Tsitsipas did it at the beginning of the 2019 season as well. And so, you know, that is really. When players go on that six-week run, when they rip off, you know, maybe three titles in six weeks or they make three or four finals in six weeks, that's when you know a player is making the leap. And obviously, that's exactly what Andre Rublev has done since tennis restarted at the beginning of August. Now, for Rublev, this has really been a full-season breakout for him. You start at the beginning of the year. He wins his first eight—I think he wins his first 11 matches, wins two titles at the ATP 250 level before ultimately losing in the fourth round of the Australian Open 
to Alex Vera. But of course, since tennis restarted, he's a quarterfinalist at the U.S. Open. He ends up winning the title in Hamburg over Tsitsipas. And then, of course, he ends up making the quarterfinals at the French Open as well. Well, we all know what he's capable of when you get him on a hard court and an indoor hard court. It feels that much more lethal. And of course, that's exactly what Andre Rublev was this past week. Lethal as he earns himself his fourth title of this 2020 season, his second at the ATP 500 level as he knocks off Borna Chorich 7-6-6-4 in a really high level final yesterday. Now let's talk about that match first and then I'll add some more color to what Andre Rublev has accomplished during this 2020 season. But you know for Andre Rublev in this match against Chorich, he was down for a lot of that first set. Found himself I believe in a 5-3 deficit in that first set breaker. Of course you look at the stats in this match between two these two guys. It really was an either-or sort of affair. It really was one of those, hey, uh, you know, it, it's a couple points here, a couple of points there for uh, Borna Chorich in this matchup. Uh, you know, he, again, he was up 5-2. He, I think it was the 5-3 or 5-4 point on his serve in that tiebreaker. He gets a forehand approach shot, and he misses it by about two inches wide. And if that ball lands, Rublev has a stretch backhand passing shot. He has a look at the shot, but certainly uh, it wasn't a ball that, you know, it was going to be a difficult pass to make, but Chorch just misses that. He gives the mini break back to Rublev, and then they're back on serve. And just what Andre Rublev, the plus one tennis he's been able to show, and I apologize, I'm trying to find the stats here on the website, but it's not currently showing up on the ATP Tour website. But just Rublev's ability to play plus one tennis. You can't give him a forehand even if he's stretched. It's just if he gets a clean strike on the ball he takes control of the point and his plus one down the line forehand right now, his ability, a new combo I've seen him work in is to go out wide on the do side and then just sit on the forehand try and bait you to hit that return cross court and then he takes that ball early and up the line and it's a special shot because you think with a guy who has so much racket speed but does seem to have a bit of a backswing that that would be a tough ball for him to time well. Well, he times it perfectly now. And I mean, again, if he is able to hit the ball cleanly, if he's able to get an easy strike on the ball, he takes control of the point. And to Borna Chorch's credit in this match, he did such a good job of changing direction on Andre Rublev, moving the ball to the outer third, but not just cross-court, cross-court, cross-court. It would go cross-court, cross-court, down the line. Cross-court, cross-court, down the line. Just anything to keep Rublev off balance, whether it be short angles, whether it be, you know, honestly, he avoided the slice because, you know, the thing Andre Rublev wants you to do more than anything is hit a backhand slice. That way he gets to run around that backhand corner, hit an inside-out forehand, and then he gets to play his inside-out, inside-out, inside-in forehand patterns, which, as we've all learned, he is very, very exceptional at. But, you know, again, credit to Andre, or credit to Borna George, excuse me, for really having chances in this match for physically just not going away for taking balls early and I do think his forehand still a little bit of a big backswing of course that's always been a thing for Chorch and I think ultimately Rublev was able to overwhelm that side with a little bit of pace that was probably the biggest distinguishing feature between the two players but this was an outstanding performance for Borna Chorch who was also a quarter finalist at the US Open who makes the finals here in St. Petersburg and I think it was at the end of the 2018 season. He had a very similar run in Beijing. Um, 
during the uh, final hard court stretch. And, you know, again, for Borna George, the biggest question for him over these past couple of years has been health and confidence. And he seems to have both of those right now. And for him this week, we've talked about the wins. He beat Rayonich, he beat Opelka, you know, a couple of, uh, I suppose, easier wins for him early on in the tournament. But this was a great showing for him. And for Andre Rublev, now you look at what he's accomplished in 2020, and I know I've talked about him enough, so don't worry. There's not another Andre Rublev rant coming now. I will simply say he's tied with Novak Djokovic for number four. Uh, he's tied with Novak Djokovic, excuse me, for number one in most titles on tour with four titles. He's also number two right now on the ATP tour with in wins in 2020. Djokovic has 37. Rublev has 34. Plus 27, Nadal Kasparud tied at in uh, for fourth with 22. I mean, listen to that gap. Seven more wins than Stefano Tsitsipas, who's had an incredible season, by the way, and, you know, only three fewer than Novak Djokovic. That's that's outstanding stuff for Andre Rublev, who now finds himself in a pretty commanding position, by the way, to qualify for the year-end finals. You look at the rankings right now, Andre Rublev, he's got about a 300 or about a 250-point lead on Diego Schwartzman, and you know he's got about a 600-point lead on Matteo Berrettini. Now, both of those guys can still qu- uh, catch him, but there's only four weeks left to play, and I think we all agree Andre Rublev's certainly been one of the best five players on tour during this 2020 season. It would be a crime for him to not be in those year-end finals in London. It looks like he is in a very good position to do so, and that is something all of us tennis fans can be very, very excited about. So credit to Andre Rublev, folks. Some of you made fun of me early on saying, oh, you're way too high on this guy. Oh, come on. It gets a little bit slap-happy. Not that many of you said that, but some people did mock, I suppose, my fondness for his game. Uh, The joke's on all of you. The guy's legit. The guy is the real deal, and I think we are going to see a lot of success from him, certainly at a minimum, over the next 10 years. But, you know, that was, the, and by the way, again, credit to Borna Chorch for his result here, but that's the result in St. Petersburg. Of course, that honestly might not have been the headline final yesterday. Now, it was the final at the biggest event, but you look at the final in Cologne between Alex Virev and FAA. Of course, those are two guys all of us have circled as perhaps the two heir apparents uh, in terms of winning multiple Grand Slams on the ATP Tour. And, you know, they had played twice before in their careers. Virev straight set wins on both of those occasions. Both of these guys have res residencies in uh, Monaco, where I believe they cha- uh, trade together, or train, excuse me, not trade, train together. Hey, great shot. Uh, so they know each other's games well, and you could see that in this matchup, and you could see that in the comfort and, you know, the familiarities Virov seemed to have with FAA's game style. And just, he came in with such a disciplined game plan. Hey, I'm going to attack the FAA corner, uh, the backhand corner, and I'm going to keep balls in the deep, you know, deep in the court, but I'm going to keep them deep center. I'm not going to give FAA any angle, any pace to work with. I want him to be forced to create the angles. I don't want to give him opportunities in the outer third because, of course, you get an athlete like FAA stretched. That's when he's at his most dangerous. And this was just a solid game plan from Zverev from start to finish here as he captures a 6-3-6-3 victory. Now, you know, in typical Alex Zverev fashion, he's up 5-2, serving for the first set, 30-all. He double faults on back-to-back points to gift the break to FAA for 5-3. Now, of course, Zverev, that's why you build the double break lead, because he is able to get that break right back, secure a 6-3 uh, first set, and then there is only one break of serve, I believe. Uh, maybe, two, no, no, I think only one break of serve 
serve in that second set for Zverev. He holds on to it to take a 6-3, 6-3 win over FA. And of course, I want to talk about what Zverev accomplishes with his victory here, with his title in Cologne. But you look at the stats in this match, and I think this one's a pretty simple one. Alex Zverev is six foot six, and I know this is, you know, what do you have to listen to a podcast to learn this sort of information? No, but it's worth repeating. A six foot six tennis player you have an inherent advantage when you're playing indoor hardcore tennis. You can just bunt down on that serve, and the conditions are so controlled. And, you know, for Alex Fierov in this match, 20 of 25 on his first serve, 15 of 22 on his second serve. I mean, he lost 12 total points on serve in nine service games. That's freaking ridiculous. That's outstanding. And it's the fact that, you know, that first serve, it's now landing in 125, 130, and he's able to take control of the point. And of course, we all know what he's capable of with his ground strokes. He can play plus one tennis. Of course, there were times in this match when he was playing really good defense as well. It felt like even when FAA made the first serve, Zverev was in every point. You know, FAA in this match, 32 of 58 on total service points for Zverev. That means he's winning about 45% of the return points. I mean, you know, with his frame, his size, he's just able to get points back to neutral or extend the rally, that one extra shot. And then, of course, you see his power tennis as well, and it, it just stands out. I, I think all of us at this point know what Alex Zverev is capable of for him to have this sort of consistency week in, week out, uh, for him to come here to Cologne, drop, I believe, only one set on his way to the title, get victories over Verdasco, Harris, Davidovich, Fokina, now FA. Those are all guys he should beat, and that's exactly what he did this week, so credit to him bouncing back. I know he was a little bit sick in that match versus Yannick Sinner, but obviously he's always happy to win a title on home soil. He does just that. Now, I do want to talk about the FAA side of this equation because, you know, the big stat now, FAA, six ATP finals in his career. He's 0-6 in those finals matches. Anyone who's overreacting to that statistic, respectfully, take them a little bit less seriously because for a 20-year-old to have made six ATP finals, that's the story. That's the takeaway. The fact that this guy continues to put himself in a position an event after event after event at the 250 level, the guy is clearly a top 50, top 40, maybe even top 30 player at this point. Now, of course, we still need to see him prove it at the three out of five set level, and we saw in this match, you know, Zverev was able to go after that backhand side. Zverev was able to neutralize so many points, so many rallies, and when you're able to get FAA at neutral, he, you know, becomes a little bit less dangerous. When he's playing attacking tennis, when he's in the outer thirds imposing his will, when he's able to play that big serve plus one forehand tennis, of course, that looks as good as anyone on tour. That's when you see the guy who was the former world junior number one, you're like, oh yeah, that's why he's the guy to beat. But, you know, the backhand did break down under a little bit of pressure, and sometimes he, you know, when he gets fresher with the backhand side, he'll start trying to play slice. Sometimes he'll start trying to go big down the line, and of course, he does look really comfortable on indoor hard courts, and you know, all six of those finals, three of them on indoor hard courts, two on clay, one on grass. He can clearly do it across surfaces. That game translate doesn't matter what court you're playing on, but you know, again, 
plan B, plan C, when Zverev's just giving you muck down the center of the court or playing neutral tennis, you know, what sort of, how does FAA respond to that? What does he do moving forward? Uh, That's a big question, of course, for him as we move into this next decade of tennis because we all see the talent. We all know what he is capable of. And again, the big takeaway is that he's made six finals already in his career. I promise you he's going to get over that hump in some sort of title match. You look for FA. Who are the people he has lost to in these finals? You know, It's not like he's taken bad losses in any of these matches. I don't think any of us are going to blink an eye at the fact that he ended up losing a match to Alex Zverev at this point on an indoor hardcourt. And you look at some of the other finals he's made. You know, a loss to Tsitsipas this year, indoor hardcourts. No one's going to complain about that. Gael Monfils earlier this year. Again, same deal. Matteo Berrettini, that one, no big deal. You know, to lose in the Clay 500 final to Laszlo Jure, a title winner here this week. I don't think any of us are going to mock that. The one I'm sure he wants back, the 250 loss, 4-3 at the Lyon Open to Benoit Paire. You just think with FAA's power, he could just overwhelm that pair forehand side with pace. But of course, you know, in 2019, FAA is what, 19, 18 years old at the oldest. So again, you can understand all of these losses in the finals with proper context. But look, this is a guy who's made four ATP 250 finals, two at the 500 level. He is someone to be excited about. And I, you know, if you're selling your FAA stock right now, you maybe want to move your portfolio into the Alcaraz or Yannick Sinner or, you know, Lorenzo Musetti business. That's fine. I will happily buy that FAA stock up from you. I'm holding or if not, you know, again, for him, it was wins he was supposed to get this week. He ends up beating Laxon in round one, Redu Elbot round two, but it was a really good win for him over Robbie Batts in round three. And again, yes, he lost this final to Zverev, but you look at some of the stats now for these two players. For Alex Zverev, it's his fifth consecutive year winning a title on tour that speaks to how good he has been early in his career. In fact, you look for him and how he compares to some of the other greats of the past, you know, 20 years in tennis and where they were at by age 24. And honestly, I think this name extends beyond that. For Bjorn Borg, when he was 23 years old, now this is a, before he turned 24, this is a crazy stat for you. He had 60 titles, nine slams. That's nuts. Rafa, 40 titles, seven slams. That's nuts. You know, McEnroe, Sampras, Becker, Federer, all at over the 30 title threshold by age 24. They all had at least four slams to their names. But, you look at some of the late bloomers. Djokovic, 24 titles, he had two slams. Agassi, 20 titles he had one slam. Murray, 16 titles, no slams. Del Potro, 11 titles, one slam. Team, 7 titles, no slams. Zverev's right where you want to be. That is elite company, right? When your name is up there with the Del Pose teams, Murray's, Agassiz, Djokovic's, Becker's, Sampras's of the world, oh, you're doing something right on tour. And so obviously he hasn't won a major yet, but I just thought that was some nice context you all would enjoy. Again, in finals right now, Alex Zverev, one of only nine active players to have over a 60% win percentage. He's 12-8, and eight, some of the other notables. Rafa, a ridiculous 86-37, and 37. Djokovic, 
80 and 35. Federer 103 and 53. Delpo sneaky good 22 and 13. Team 17 and 10. Of course, Zverev now 12 and 8 in finals. We talked about it before. You know, in terms of the guys, uh, the next gen crew 96 or later. Zverev leads the group with 20 finals appearances. That's ahead of Medvedev and Tsitsipas, the only other guys in double digits with 13 and 12 respectively. Rublev, Chorch, Demonauer, all 8, 7, 6, and then FAA joins Demonauer with 6 as well. But, you know, again, for Zverev, he's got 12 titles now. That's the most of the next-gen crew. That leads Medvedev, who's got 7. Rublev's now got 6. Uh, you know, 5 consecutive years for Zverev now winning a title. He trails Dominic Team, who's got 6 consecutive years. Novak Djokovic, who's done it for 15 consecutive years. And Rafa Nadal, who's done it for 17 consecutive years, obviously. That is some impressive company to join if you are Alex Virov. Now for FA again, 0-6 in finals. He joins Lawson Duncan, Steve Denton, Pierre Barthez, and Julian Beneteau uh, for you know uh, some of the winless performances uh, in finals uh, in ATP Tour recent memory. Of course, some of those guys uh, ended up breaking their streak. Adrian Manorino was 0-5 in finals. He ended up winning in Sir Bosch last year. Xavier Melise ended up winning a bunch of titles after he lost his first six. Cedric Peel line. As I mentioned, Pat Dupree, they ended up doing it. And as we mentioned, I think we can all agree, F.A., it's a matter of when, not if he wins a title at some point in his career. But that was the action in Cologne. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Of course, there were a couple of other finals on the day. Just want to quickly talk about that Laszlo Gir Cecinato final in Sardinia. Of course, you look for Laszlo Gir. He ends up winning this match 7 6 7 5. And you know, there was a little bit of drama because Jir ended up taking an injury timeout, Chechenato taking offense in that moment. But, you know, for the 25-year-old Laszlo Jir, he has been awfully impressive, you know, uh, early in his career. I feel like he's one of the unsung, very, very quietly, very, very solid players uh, who's going to just be occupying a spot in the top 50, top 65 for quite a bit of time. 25-year-old uh, back up to number 53 in the live rankings with his victory. And it was just... How how solid he was throughout this week. You look for Jure, uh, you know, he only dropped one set on the week to Lorenzo Musetti. It was that first set, of course. He makes that match physical. Now, Musetti has played a ton of tennis of late, and he ends up retiring. But for Laszlo Jure, you know, that was the only set he dropped on the week. Straight set wins over Nagal, the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic, Yuri Vesely, and now here against Cecinato. He's just... Again, he does a lot of things really well on the court. It's not the flash, the pop of some of the other guys, but an incredible win for Laszlo Jura, an incredible story. If you haven't heard it, be sure to go research. Be sure to go check it out. I mean, 
the guy the guy is just an absolute stud. So credit to him. And for Chechenando, this stat comes from Enrico Riva. Uh, uh, despite the loss in Sardinia, Chechenando remains the only player in the Open era to have three ATP titles and a Slam semifinal with a win percentage of less than 40 on the ATP Tour. That is just... Yeah, that's Chechenato, I would say, in a nutshell, but an incredible win for him. And then, you know, a couple of other finals I want to talk about quickly. I did get to watch my full start-to-finish Carlos Alcaraz match in his final against Pedro Martinez Partero Alcaraz, a 7-6-6-3 winner. And what was so incredible in that 7-6 tiebreaker, you know, Pedro Martinez has a set point uh, at, I think it was 6-5 in the breaker. He honestly might have been up 6-4 as well. He has this put-away volley cross-court that he puts that bad boy away. We'll say, you know, he hits a cross-court approach forehand. Um, what's his name? I'm forgetting names here. Way to go. Hey, great shot to me. What's his name? That's an all-time low point at the Great Shot Podcast. Alcaraz is able to get to that ball, get a ball somewhat low uh, to uh, on Pedro Martinez while he's at the net, and Martinez hits a drop volley that uh, Alcaraz is just barely able to get by, and it's on that one. It pops up to the Martinez Portero forehand volley. Pedro puts that cross-court volley away nine times out of ten on this instant. He leaves it a little bit too close to the middle of the court. Alcaraz just able to stick his racket out, get a racket on it, make that ball, win the point, get the break back, or get the uh, the tiebreaker back. That was the 6-4 point because then Alcaraz is back on serve 4-6-5, and then he's able to go from there, and he ends up taking the first set 8-6 and you could in the breaker, and you could just tell uh, that the moment it, it drained something from Pedro. Pedro Martinez Portero. And for Alcaraz, you know, it's not just the fact that he is such an incredible athlete, but it's the fact, go watch the way the ball just explodes off of his racket, off of both wings. On the forehand side, obviously, he has such a dynamic forehand. He hits that ball heavy. He can hit it in both directions. But for me, and it actually looks a little bit J.J. Wolf-esque in terms of its form, in terms of the way the ball explodes off the rack, and two guys who can just, I mean, those are next-generation guys in terms of the way they pop the ball, but, you know, some of these, uh, the other thing that impresses me so much from Alcaraz, not just, you know, his willingness to move forward, the the backhand down the line is something else. I mean, he will change directions at a moment's notice. He will follow that ball, and he'll try to finish points at the net. It's a really well-rounded game, and of course, we have talked about the company Alcaraz has joined with his victory here this week. It's his second challenger final in a row, uh, second challenger title in back-to-back weeks, his third on the year, of course, with this victory. Now, he becomes the youngest player inside the ATP Top 150. He's the second youngest player to win eight, three ATP Challenger titles, trailing only Richard Gasquet, who might honestly be the most talented 18-year-old and under player of the past 20 years. You know, it's either him or Rafa, probably, in terms of the success those two guys were having at such a young age, but... You know, for Alcaraz, again, he joins that company. In terms of, here's the list of players who won at least two ATP Challenger tournaments before turning 17 and a half. Uh, this stat, by the way, brought to you by our friends at by our friend at Luca Beck. The list is FAA, Tomic, Djokovic, Nadal, Alcaraz, Gasquet. 
yeah, sign me up to be on that list. I don't know what I have to do to get on it. I mean, I do know what I have to do. I have to win multiple challengers before I'm 17 and a half years old. I think that ship has sailed for me, but that's obviously some exquisite company to join. And now in terms of the players who have lifted three titles before they're 18, that's Gasquet, Djokovic, Del Potro, Alcaraz and FAA so that is some exclusively great company and again Carlos Alcaraz now if you haven't watched him go watch him now I'm telling you it is a matter of time before he starts putting forward these sorts of results on the ATP tour as well and you know that was the headline challenger final because anytime a 17 and a half year old is putting forward these sorts of results has themselves in the top 150 that's a massive story but credit to Halmi Munar who did not drop a set this entire week in coasting to the challenger title in Lisbon with this result now. Munar, I believe back uh, right around, excuse me, the ATP top 100, and it's so hard to gain those extra points because of the way points have been retained uh, to protect those players who aren't comfortable playing in the midst of a global pandemic. But for him now, he's back up to number 108 in the world. He does have the chance this week playing again in Istanbul. Should he win the event, uh, of course, the Istanbul challenger, he will be back inside the top 100. And honestly, that's where he belongs. The guy is going to have so much success on the clay throughout the course of his career. If he's playing challenger events, he's almost a lock to make the quarterfinals or better. And then, of course, we all know what he's capable of. Tough first round for him against Stefano Tsitsipas, who, uh, of course, he ended up pushing in a five-set victory for Tsitsipas. But Munar's a stud, and I think he will be back inside the top 80 in uh, a quick amount of time. Just the way he changes directions, the way he tracks down every ball. This is a guy who's going to get the most out of his game. And, you know, physically, he can't pop the ball the way some of these other young players can, but he is just going to be very, very consistent throughout the course of his career. So very much looking forward to seeing how it, uh, that continues to unfold. And again, a great victory for him over Pedro Sosa, high-level match in that final. But that brings us to what we're watching this week here on the ATP Tour, because of course the ATP never, or I should say the professional tennis world, never sleeping. And thankfully for us tennis fans, we get a little bit of WTA action this week as well as the WTA Tour resumes play this week in Ostrava, the Czech Republic. And we've got a really high level of uh, a really high quality field, I should say, in action this week. Number one seeded Alina Svitolina, number two seed Karoline Pliskova. We've got the three seed Arena Sabalenka, and then of course the four seed Vika Azarenka as well. But, you know, you look just across the draw here, a first round match versus Christina Pliskova Maria Sakari. That's a really fun one to, mo- uh, to watch. Yelena Ostapenko versus Petra Martic. That's a round one match, folks. That's the sort of quality of this draw. Striskova versus Jabor. Both players unseated. Uh, of course, you got Shui Zhang versus Karolina Mukova, Amanda Inisimova versus Elise Mertens, round one, Kontave Alexandrova, round one, Sinyakova versus Goff, Yastremska Brady, an unseated battle. I mean, yeah, this draw is stacked, folks. So it is so great to have the WTA back in our lives. And again, all of your favorites, all of our favorites, likely you can find at least one of them in action here this week. So, of course, that will be something we will be monitoring closely. Of course, we've also got a bunch of ATP events going on as well. In Antwerp, we've got a 250 event, the European Open, featuring number one seed David Goffin, number two seed Karina Busta, three seed Karen Hachinov, and of course, the four seed Grigor Dimitrov. 
but I'm looking elsewhere in the draw right now. I see a little Demon Hour action. I see a Rusevori Cam Nori first round matchup that will certainly get my attention. I see Francis Tiafo also already knocked out the deuce this morning. That's a great win for him. Of course, you've also got, ooh, Fritz Opelka round one. Hello. Uh, that is going to be a fun matchup. So, of course, we will all enjoy the action in Antwerp. And then, of course, we've got Cologne part two going on this week. Alex Vieira going to try and, I suppose, defend his title? Go back-to-back? I don't know. Is that how it works? I guess that's how it works. Uh, but he is in action once again. We've got other guys like Kesmenovic, Manorino, Denis Shapovalov, Tennis Sandgren, Yannick Sinner, Jan Leonard Struff. Uh, who else do we have in the draw? FAA back in action. Marin Cilic in action. Diego Schwartzman in action. Uh, we'll see can Davidovich Fokina follow up his semifinal appearance in Cologne last week with another one here this week. He's got Zoomher, then the winner of Chilich and Johnson to get just to the quarterfinal round again. So that is a tough and loaded draw. And of course, for all of these players, they're just trying to get in as many opportunities as they can. They notice just as well as we do that there are only four weeks left in this season, limited opportunities to gain points, get matches in, you know, make a little bit of money as well. So of course, those are the matches. Matches at the 250 level. We've also got, as I mentioned, that challenger in Istanbul in Turkey. Munar, the number two seed, and what a brutal first round matchup for him. He's going to take on talented young Swedish player Elias Yimmer. That's going to be a really fun one. Of course, you've also got the number four seed, Evgeny Donskoy, Ilya Avashka seated here this week. Jason Jung, I see seated. Lorenzo Giustino, Taro Daniel, already getting knocked out by former Wake Forest All American Borna Gojo. Uh, Mackie McDonald, a qualifier here uh, in this Challenger event in Turkey. So again, that's a fun one. And then, of course, we've also got the Challenger in Germany where you've got Federico Del Bonis, Sebastian Corda, Antoine Huang, Henry Laxanen, uh, Pranesh Gunaswarian, Gregoire Beret, Yannick Hanifman, and more in action. Of course, you can follow all of those Challenger matches by going to Livestream.com backslash ATP. That's all the action for you on tour this week. Those are the things we will be watching and talking about here at Cracked Rackets. Now, as I mentioned at the top, we've also got a couple of other fun podcasts for you coming out on the Great Shot podcast this week. In a couple of hours, I will be sitting down with one of our favorites, New York Times' Ben Rothenberg, to talk about the biggest storylines in tennis during the remainder of this 2020 season. Of course, I'm sure we will talk about many other tangents. He will talk about how he found out about Sam Querys, I suppose— Do we talk about jailbreak from Russia? Is that the term we want to use? I don't know. That doesn't feel right, but I'm sure we will talk about that and so much more. And then I will be joined by Brett McCormick later in the week to talk about some of the biggest business developments, the storylines that we think could impact the business of tennis moving forward. And so looking forward to both of those conversations, I am sure we will have some other cracked interviews up for you and whatnot throughout the rest of the week. So of course, to follow all of our content, just set that website, crackedrackets.com to your homepage. Be sure you like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Mini Break, and Inside Out Podcast. And in fact, just join us. Become a part of our Patreon family. Why not? We are so grateful to those of you out there who continue to support us. It's what allows us to do all this work week in, week out here at Cracked Rackets, and we would love to expand our family. That is what we are always looking to do. So if any of you are interested, any of you want to get some Cracked Rackets gear, you can find out more information for all of that on our 
website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, for the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you can find us at Cracked Rackets. You want to DM me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westa, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15. But with that being said, for my wonderful super producers, Max Fligger, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, and you know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.